1: Hello! Welcome to the Big Blue Big Board Podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flump. Chris, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing
2: good. Once again, we have a a guest, and I think this is going to be a pretty cool one for people.
1: Yeah, I think it is. For some long-time Big Blue View readers, you will know our our guest. Most of you will know him as Invictus. Kunal, welcome to the show. Pleasure being here, guys. This is pretty cool. Yeah,
2: you know, it's it, good to be talking to you again. Well, we talk all the time, but in an official capacity. Absolutely.
1: Awesome. So, the three of us today are going to dive into some draft things that's what we do on this draft podcast Uh, more specifically we are going to talk about some players we like a little more than the just general consensus and a couple players we like less than the general consensus we've kind of just been you know diving into a lot of what's going on at these positions and so we just want to take a step back right now and kind of get a feel for guys we like i'm sure some of you guys just by listening to to chris and myself over the past like what like six months we've been talking about draft prospects at this point you probably know some of the guys we like i would just let you know ben benogu is not going to be a guy i like you guys already <laughs> know that if you've listened long enough uh, so we're going to try to just change it up a little bit so we're going to start off with guys that we like more than the consensus and chris why don't you start us off with your first guy
2: sure you yeah, know i was thinking about this i decided to go for a little bit of a deep cut for these because we've talked a ton about Brian Burns and Montez Sweat and the recently confirmed most freakishly athletic off-ball nose tackle in the world, Ed Oliver. So I thought I'd go down the draft chart a little bit and go with Tyree St. Louis, offensive tackle out of Miami. I know a lot of people kind of get the heebie-jeebies now when you talk about an offensive tackle from the U. But Tyree St. Louis is not Eric Flowers.
3: Yeah, so having been a Miami fan myself, Tyree St. Louis, completely different from Eric Flowers. I think, you know, when we talk about Flowers, the big thing that, you know, we really were concerned with and what ultimately was his downfall were his hands. And, you know, St. Louis, he's, he looks the part, right? He's got long arms. He has great foot speed, which is Something also very different, you know, when we talk about Eric Flowers, you know, uh, <laughs> speed rushes, uh, and this is an understatement, were a struggle for him pretty much because he couldn't punch and he didn't have the foot quickness. St. Louis, completely different. That's not to say that you know he's a first round pick or anything like that, but you know, he he isn't a finished product, but he has potential, and you know, when we're talking about guys. In the mid rounds, um, I think I think you could do a lot worse than him.
2: Yeah, and also one of the things I like about him is that he has played both left and right tackle, so he could conceivably compete for right tackle right away, especially if they don't find anyone better between now and I'll say the fourth round. And maybe if he develops, he could give them give the Giants a an option to move on from Nate Solder after the 2020 season when he has an out in his contract. But like you said, great foot quickness, good hands, long arms. He's got the size roughly six five, three fifteen 315 or so. At least that's what he was listed at. I don't believe he was invited to the combine, which it's a shame.
1: No, he wasn't, and and that makes him uh, kind of a bit of a mystery. We don't really get to see in athletic profile. As I'm looking, he's not even listed from a pro. Day. I don't know if Miami had their pro day or not yet, but he's not even like in the Spark database right now uh, among like 140 offensive linemen that are listed. And so. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a deep dive there, but he is someone who has shown some ability at at a pretty high level. I mean you know Miami does give you you know some of the the shade of Eric Flowers but you you scout the player and not the uniform and not all players at the same position from the same school are the same that's a very flawed way of of thinking about things although it's a very popular way sometimes to think about things yeah he, he could be an option cuz that could be where the Giants are looking at tackle especially when you look at if they're going to go heavy on defense in in the first round, they they might be waiting later in the draft to, to try to get one of those developmental tackle prospects. So we'll see. Kunal, why don't we go with your first guy who you like a little more than maybe everyone else? So, you
3: know, we've heard from everybody that uh, Dave Gettleman is going to pick a pass rusher at some point in the first round, whether that be six or 17, I'm going to talk about the guy that, uh, I have near the top of my my list in terms of uh, pass rushing prospects, and that's Cullen Farrell. I don't feel like you know he kind of gets his due. We talk about Brian Burns, Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, Montez Sweat, but Farrell kind of gets you know uh, pushed to the back, and um, he's somebody who I think would be really really intriguing for us. Not only does he have you know the great length, right? His arms are over thirty four inches, but he was one of the most productive uh, pass rushers, you know, in the country. He was everywhere for for the Clemson Tigers. And um, one of the big things, and I think one of the traits that you really can't teach is just uh, is, is a snap explosion. When you see this guy, he's consistently the first person off the ball. And that's talking about a Clemson lineup that was pretty much an all-star defensive line. He was consistently off the ball. He uh, really, really good at at defending the run and setting the edge, and you know that makes him one of the most balanced prospects um, in the draft. You know, I know there's concerns with with other players such as you know Brian Burns in terms of how they're going to do in run defense. You're not going to get that with Farrell. Um, a lot of people will say you know he's probably better at four three defensive end. My thing is you know James Betcher runs a multiple a multiple look defense right. We don't really talk about 4 3 DEs or 3 4 OLBs. We just talk about edge guys now. Yes, Farrell will struggle a little bit backpedaling, but you're not drafting him to backpedal. You're drafting him to rush the passer. And I think he's, he's somebody who's really, really, you know, a good option, you know, in the first round um, that can do that for us.
2: Yeah, I, I really like Farrell too. Uh, and this is completely by coincidence, but my. Profile on Farrell will be going up. Well, tomorrow as we record today, as it gets posted, as this podcast gets posted. So there we go. Yeah, I've been actually watching a lot of film on him recently. To me, what stands out is his hands. You mentioned he's got his arms are longer than my legs, and (laughs) he knows how to use them. Like he always extends. He gets. He creates space for himself, and his hand usage is just great offensive linemen just cannot lock into him they can't lock in they can't control him and then it's just either a, a long arm or a quick quick rip move and he's past them
1: yeah and to canal's point about like the the three four and and four three and i agree that it's not really a thing anymore that anyone really needs to worry about because there's there's so much nickel uh, in the nfl right now that is that is the base. That is base. Teams are playing nickel. But Farrell has has a little more experience standing up than uh, I think a lot of people get him credit for. I'm looking at the SIS Rookie Handbook uh, right now, which we've talked about with Matt Manicharian on a former podcast. Again, if you have not gotten this book, uh, definitely check it out. But they list... Farrell, having only being lined up in a three-point stance 75.4% of the time, so almost a quarter of the time, he was standing up. He only rushed 84% of the time uh, of, of pass snaps, so he did drop back a little bit, so he has a lot more of that he has a lot more experience there than I think a lot of people do give him credit for, and so this scheme fit thing doesn't really fit for me. I'm looking at the big board I've kind of been slightly putting together. I have him 18th, uh, and I think that might be high for some people when people are talking about what the giants are going to do at 17 i know mostly they're talking about edge at six so they don't talk about it as much at 17 but he could absolutely be option there and you're looking at the pressure rate he was fourth in the strap class in in pressure rate uh so he was consistently getting to the quarterback he had 23 run stuffs which was big Four pass breakups too so uh he's just he was like you said just all over the place he does
3: everything absolutely
1: All right, so I'm going to jump into my first guy that I like a little more than consensus, and that is Emmanuel Hall, who is a wide receiver from Missouri. If you read my target yards added piece, and I'll just give a quick rundown on that. It's a metric I've put together every year, just basically taking a wide receiver and splitting what he averages in yards per target when he's thrown at, and what his quarterback averages in yards per attempt when he throws to literally anyone else. Emmanuel Hall first in that metric this year by a wide margin, at uh, seven point four three target yards added, which means Drew Locke averaged seven point four three more yards when throwing to Emmanuel Hall than anyone else on the Missouri offense. That's uh,
3: absurd. That's, that is that's absurd. Pretty good.
1: Yeah. And you know that that takes into account some running backs where yards per target isn't very high, but that is easily the top mark in this draft class. Uh, And then when you look at him, you would kind of think of that, that he's he's, his deep threat and he is quick, but uh, per SIS, only 44.3% of his routes went further than 15 yards uh, past the line of scrimmage, which is one of the lowest rates in this draft class. So he's able to win in the intermediate range and then make big gains, but also win deep his 3.9 yards per route run is is second in this draft class behind Andy Isabella, who's also who looks very favorably by target yards at it. He's just a guy, there there are some some injury concerns. He did miss some time. He only had 58 targets this year with Missouri because there was some injuries, but I, I just think the upside is there. He's like a, a borderline top 32 pick for me, and he is just he, he's not there, I think, in in a lot of other people's minds
2: no i i've seen a lot of people you know question his hands which yeah there are drops but also kind of use him as a reason why drew Locke didn't take the step forward that he might have but yeah he he does jump out on tape and especially for the giants they need somebody who can threaten the defense deep especially if they're just not going to let Evan Ingram run the seam at all
3: again. So to Chris's point, you know, uh, I guess I was forced to watch a lot more Drew Locke than I initially had wanted to. But uh, when you watch him, and I think you guys can attest to this, a lot of his throws were off balance, off his back foot. And so the accuracy uh, was, you know, not the best. But but, uh, you see Emmanuel Hall. And one of the things that you really look for is just the savviness that, 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 that he has to adjust mid-route and to, and to catch some of these balls because, you know, there were times uh, that I saw Drew Locke throw the ball, you know, kind of away from where the Emmanuel Hall had run and he was able to adjust on the fly. And that is a phenomenal trait. And like you guys said, we need some deep speed. We lost the only deep speed on the roster because we're not using Evan Ingram that way. He would be a great fit just because, you know, we need the deep speed that we just recently lost and we're not going to talk about.
2: No.
1: (laughs) So I I tweeted this out the, the other day. So there are three wide receivers in this draft class who were above the class averages in target yards added. Positive play percentage against man coverage and positive play percentage against zone coverage. And those positive play percentages are per SIS. The three wide receivers are all guys that I do like a lot. Uh, Emmanuel Hall, J.J. Arsega whiteside uh, of Stanford, and Gary Jennings of West Virginia. So that's it. There's three guys above average in all three of those statistics. So uh, I like Hall a lot. He would give the Giants something they don't have. Whether that's something they want right now, we we don't totally know (laughs) because it looks like they're setting up for this yards after they catch offense. But also, only again, 44.3% of his... Routes went more than 15 yards. So he does have that ability to win in the short and intermediate areas. All right. So we're going to do uh, two guys that we like each. So, oh, Chris, let's go back up to you and your second guy.
2: Yeah. I'm going to stay at wide receiver sort of and go with a player who just intrigues the hell out of me in Jalen Hurd, wide receiver out of Baylor, also running back out of Tennessee. And that's what intrigues me about him. He's listed at 6'4", or 6'5", and about 2'25", 2'30". So he was a big running back coming out of Tennessee. But then he transferred over to Baylor and transitioned to wide receiver. He only has one year of experience at, at wideout, but he looks comfortable at, in it. Especially for a Baylor wide receiver, he's already a good route runner. He, sh- he shows solid hands catching the ball and tracking it and making adjustments he's got speed he's got size and baylor still used him as a running back on occasion especially in short yardage situations so i think that's a player that a fairly inventive coach a coach who likes to move players around could have some fun with
3: absolutely i think i think just the fact that he has he has experience of both running back and wide receiver you know as dan said um We're going to be an offense that is predicated on yards after the catch, short, shifty routes. You know, I don't know where you guys have him, but late day two, early day three, I'd be comfortable.
2: I'm not hearing a whole lot about him from anyone, so I'm guessing maybe day three. Yeah. Somewhere in there, which
3: they've got a lot of picks. (laughs) They they do. Absolutely.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that seems to be his range. It looks like he's you know still learning the nuances of wide receiver, but he's... Of course, he only has that one season there. But you can see some of the things that have translated from running back. He, Per Sports Info Solutions, he ran 48.3% of his routes deep. He had nine unique routes, and that's what SIS tracks of the amount of routes that are at least take up 5%. Of a receiver's route tree, and nine is super high. That's like the highest of any of these wide receivers. So you usually historically think of Baylor guys who are you know on the outside running goes uh, like the whole time. That was not Jalen Hurd. Uh, he was in the slot 86.7% of the time. So he he does have a little bit of outside, but mostly in the slot. And when you look at the way he beats man coverage, 60.7% positive play percentage against man. So that's that's really good. He's able to beat man. I think he need some of those nuances and you see that in his zone the coverage just a 48.6 percent positive play percentage against zone coverage which is well below average so you think of some of those option routes and and things he can possibly learn especially coming out of the slot uh, at the next level but there's development that that is on the horizon. You can see what a developed version of Jalen Hurd looks like, and a lot of receivers, you know, that are going to be in that area. You you can't see that. You think maybe that could happen, but I think there is a, a very clear path to Jalen Hurd becoming a better wide receiver.
3: You know, you you look at the fact that he had he had positive grades uh, against man, despite the fact that he is playing in the slot as a 6'4", almost 230-pound wide receiver, you know, and that tells you that, you know, there's something there. There's something that you can work with for sure. That's impressive. Yeah, and I'll say I'm
2: I'm just looking at his spider chart right now, and he has some interesting comps. Got Equinemius St. Brown and Alan Lazard from the 2018 draft, Kenny Galladay from 2017, Jordan Matthews from 2014, uh, our old friend Jeremy Davis from 2015, Kinsey Anunwa from 2014 and Cody Latimer. So he's got a intriguing build to him that a lot of receivers who might not be top receivers but a lot who have at least had some success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, why don't we go to your second guy? So, I'm going to stick around uh,
3: you know, our number 17 pick um and I'm going to stay with with the lines and uh This time I'm going to select Washington State offensive tackle Andre Dillard. You know, we talk a lot about, you know, potential offensive linemen to kind of round out the offensive line. Dillard kind of, you know, spent some time under the radar. Um, I have him as my number two offensive tackle behind only Jonah Williams. And um, I think if you're looking for somebody to keep Eli or whoever our quarterback is upright, you can't go wrong with Dillard. I think he has – He's the best pass protection offensive tackle in this draft, bar none. If you can't watch a whole lot of, uh, you know, if you can't watch a whole lot of uh, Washington State games, just take a look at his movement uh, when it comes to the combine. You know, his footwork was special, and his footwork is special. And one of the things that you look at when you look at an offensive tackle, you look at athleticism, you look at their ability to play in space, and you look at both their footwork and their punch. Can they recover from the speed rush? Can they drive a you know a defender off the ball? I would say the only weakness that I see in Dillard's game is you know if you're if you're really really pushing that Hogmolly you know philosophy, he won't drive somebody off the ball, but he is a very effective seal blocker in a zone scheme, which we do run quite a bit. You know, I think that this is a guy that could step in day one, start at right right tackle, and eventually take over for Nate Soldier and be one of the best uh, pass protection uh, tackles. I compare him to Teron Armstead. That's who he kind of really reminds me of.
2: Which is high praise. It is, yeah. it is yeah.
3: but I'm a believer.
2: Yeah, I'll say he's – especially his combine made a believer out of me. I was – I was a little leery of him just watching his tape at Washington State because he n- never really showed a real kick slide. He always just kind of used this kind of diagonal shuffle that looked really awkward, and I just wasn't sure how he was going to deal with just NFL pass rushers. But then at the combine, they put him in the kick slide drill, and he did it almost flawlessly. He kept his hips Pretty much parallel to the imaginary line of scrimmage. He ran the rabbit right by. That just cleared up that question for me. So Yeah.
1: Yeah. Dillard might be right now my O T one. Wow. I'm I'm a big fan of his. So he we're talking about the combine, you guys are talking about some of the drills he did, but the athletic testing was incredible uh, he's first among this entire offensive line class uh, in spark which again is a composite score of, of all the testing uh it's in the 97th percentile of nfl offensive linemen uh, that is very good and then you you look at some of uh, his production on the field and some of his metrics the sis charted him with a 0.44% blown block rate against the pass. That is easily the best in this draft class. I uh, had a 1.12 blown block rate against the run, uh, which is about average, but I. Really, I honestly don't care about your run blocking. If you can pass block well, you can figure out how to eventually run block well. That's kind of my philosophy on offensive linemen. You can have maybe some hesitation with the Washington State offense because it was very quick. uh, So he wasn't holding blocks for an extended period of time. Uh, But if you were projecting him into the Giants offense, they're not holding blocks for a very long period of time either. They want to get the ball out with the current quarterback they have and with the current wide receivers they have too. is going to be a very quick strike offense. So between Dillard's athleticism, his ability to pass block, I think he's going to be a fine run blocker. Uh, at the next level, uh, I, I'm very high on him, and I, I would if he's available at 17, which he might not be. I, he would probably be my ideal pick right now if we're taking quarterback out of the equation, which you know we probably are. <laughs> but the, with quarterback, that's going to be my second guy here, and, and it's it's not a guy that's brought up in the first round conversation a lot, and I think he should. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if this draft class is any good. I really don't think so. I like Kyler Murray a lot. I have mixed feelings on literally everyone else, except Daniel Jones. I don't like Daniel Jones. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> but So um, my guy is, is Will Greer of West Virginia, and a lot of that has to do with how accurate he is. My my philosophy right now on quarterbacks is you you can't teach accuracy. SIS only has uh, on target percentage for quarterbacks going back to I think the twenty sixteen season in college. So there's really only two draft classes that that show up. But when you look at what some of the highly drafted quarterbacks had in on target percentage in their last college season and their first NFL season none of them had a higher percentage and only I think two came within the one percent of their college on target percentage and one of those was Deshaun Kaiser who had the lowest on target percentage of all of those guys so that's not really helping there but Greer is just he's accurate to all All parts of the field. He's deadly accurate from like 1 to 10. He's good in the intermediate. He has a really uh, good deep ball. He doesn't, not always the guy that is shown with arm strength, but he's accurate on on those deep balls uh, and he can get it. Overall, he has the highest on target percentage of this quarterback class. He had a great production. It was in the big 12, which you have to uh, account for that a little bit. He wasn't facing great pass defenses, I think his biggest issue is he tries to force things sometimes when they're not there. He'll he'll try to scramble out of the pocket like he's Kyler Murray, and that can run him into problems because he's not Kyler Murray on those throws. <laughs> but you know, when you look at How far down the field he threw and he was still accurate. No, Josh Hermsmeyer of 538 did a projection system that bases completion percentage on depth of target, and Will Greer was second in this class behind Murray. To my surprise, Football Outsiders just came out with Cubase, and Greer was the lowest of like quarterbacks who were viewed to be in the top 100, which kind of surprised me, but they don't take accuracy into account, which I think now that we have those numbers and we can use that, I think that should become a bigger part of a quarterback evaluation it's become a bigger part of my quarterback evaluation so i don't think i'm gonna like stand here and say he should be the giants pick at like 17 but i think he's easily qb3 for me maybe qb like two and a half uh, getting closer to <laughs> haskins than i think i would have thought earlier in this process wow, that's uh, big yeah, and that, that's just kind of how I'm viewing quarterbacks right now, especially since I don't like any of the other guys. I think they're they're too inconsistent, and the play just varies way too much for me.
2: Yeah, that, that, that might be kind of a commentary on the rest of the non-Kyler Murray class, and to a lesser extent, non-Dwayne Haskins. But yeah, accuracy definitely does translate. And at least for inconsistencies, I would rather have my quarterback be inconsistent because he is being aggressive as opposed to being consistent because his mechanics are just funky and he can never get his feet and upper body pointing in the same direction.
3: Everything comes with context. And uh, so with Greer, uh, I'm not so sure that his offensive line, you know, outside of a, a few players was all that great. And, and, and in the games that I had charted from him, he was under a lot of duress, but you know like you guys said he made he made the throws that he needed to make and he was accurate when he needed to make them
1: yeah part of part of why i i think even just viewing him as qb3 uh, makes him higher on my board than than most people and it's just yeah it's part of how i'm viewing quarterbacks right now and how looking at my evaluations in the past and and trying to figure out how that projects going forward i would much rather have a, a quarterback who i could probably you know, rein in by saying, hey, maybe don't do that anymore. Like, it's okay to throw that ball away than trying to fix someone who's going to miss an open guy. I'd much rather have the guy where I'm just trying to rein him in a little bit. And if I'm a good coach, I'm working on getting those receivers open and not having my quarterback under duress so he can have those open throws you know this is some of the same things people said about patrick mahomes he's gonna have to get reined in but i'm not saying wilker's patrick mahomes but i'm saying he was putting an offense that was just wide open throws all the time and he was able to throw them accurately and mahomes had the highest uh, on target percentage of the of the quarterbacks i looked at over over the past couple of draft classes. So that's just kind of uh, where I come down here. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then come back with some guys we like a little less than the overall consensus. Okay, so let's dive into guys we like a little less. And Chris, why don't we start with you again with your first guy?
2: Yeah, on this one, I am. I decided to take the easy way out. Well, not the easiest way out, but easier than the deep cuts in the first part. And I decided to go with Greg Little, the left tackle out of Ole Miss. He's a player, to me, he passes the eye test, but doesn't do all that well when it comes to the essay part of the test. He's got everything you look for in an offensive tackle. He's got the size. He's got long arms. He's just a first off the bus type guy. But get him on the field, and it just starts to break down. He doesn't have the feet you would hope to see. His movement skills are meh at best. And I have, at least for a while, I was seeing him... Kind of reckoned as one of the top tackles in the t- class, and I just couldn't go there with him.
3: I I I agree with you. I think there's there's a lot you know um, there's a lot of rawness that that makes me a little scared, and and it was for all the reasons you said, and uh, you know it's I don't want to say I get Eric Flowers vibes from him uh, because I would never want to put that on an offensive tackle <laughs> prospect. But, you know, the amount of the amount of work that he has to do in order to realize what I think is an enormous talent, you know, is a lot. And it's and it's something that, you know, I think he can be successful if he's with the right offensive line coach and if he's in the right scheme. But, you know, that's that's somebody that I wouldn't I wouldn't take, you know, on day one or early day two.
2: Maybe if he happens to slip and lands with Dante Scarnecchia, he'll be a perennial all
1: pro. (laughs) Right. maybe not so much yeah it's it's interesting so (laughs) in the sis rookie handbook they have little graded as their number one offensive tackle but if you look at blown block metrics he's just about average against the pass and against the run so so i think it's a little more trait based there than than production base and then you look at what he did at the combine i mean he was in the 31st percentile among NFL tackles in Spark, and and that's not a disqualifier at all. You can still be productive being that low until you get, like into like below the, the 10th percentile is where you should really worry. But uh, if you're looking at the guy who's you know not super athletic and some of the production wasn't there either, you, you can see how maybe there there is a path for him definitely not being as good as some expect him to be. And so with that, canal, why don't we go to the first guy that you like maybe a little less than the consensus?
3: So uh, unlike Chris, I'm not going to take the easy way out, and I might... I might uh, annoy a few people here with my pick, but I'm going to actually go with Josh Allen. You know, the, rabble, guy, rabble, that,
2: rabble,
3: <laughs> you know, the guy that uh, that we would, uh, that a lot of people would be drooling over at number six. Um, a lot of people have penciled into the New York Jets. I think, you know, I think he's a little overrated. And, and the reason why I think so is just, is watching him. You know, I still have him as a projected top 10 pick. You know, I think he has a lot of, Phenomenal traits, but you know there are things that that you know give you pause. For example, he was very productive, very very productive. I think he had something like 14 sacks. However, his stats aren't the be all end-all, all, right? Josh Allen is is more raw than I think a lot of people let on. He does not have a move after if his first move uh, is sealed off, is sealed off. He needs to work on his counters, and if he doesn't, he's going to struggle. A lot of where people really like Josh Allen is his ability to go into coverage. And I agree. He is, he is great at, at backpedaling, you know, dropping into zones and, and, you know, even decent at a, at a, at covering tight ends in man coverage. However, again, if you are going to draft him top five, top six, you are not drafting him for his ability to backpedal and cover. You're drafting him to get after the quarterback. A lot of his production was either against tight ends or unblocked, and so has great bend, but he hasn't used it consistently. He does not have a consistent um, passing pass rush repertoire, which I think I would need to see. He's somebody that I would really kind of compare to like an Anthony Barr, for example, rather than a Von Miller or a Miles Garrett. You know, the I I would draft a, a Von Miller, or a Miles Garrett. And number three, I'm not so sure. I would I would draft Anthony Barr at number three. Yeah, I see where
2: you're coming from, and yeah, you do see that rawness. But I would counter that by saying that he he has shown the work ethic to at least get to try to improve on his faults. He got better from his sophomore through his uh, senior season. So I could see a team drafting him and hoping for an immediate spark, and then he improve and work on those flaws.
3: Oh, I definitely agree with, I I definitely agree there. Like I said, I still think he's a top 10 guy and I think, you know, he deserves to be a top 10 guy. I just don't think he can come in and expect him to, you know, get double digit sacks automatically. In his rookie season, the way you know, even Bradley Chubb was able to do
1: this year. I can see the point. Yeah, so he only lined up in a three-point stance in 3.7 percent of the time. I think that's probably a little overblown. uh Lining up in a three-point stance and, and rushing off the edge as a down lineman, I think, is kind of like playing under center for a quarterback. I think a lot of people make a big deal if you haven't done it. I don't think it's a particularly hard skill to learn if you have to. But again, he only the passer about 60 percent of the time he kind of he played that outside linebacker role in Kentucky kind of the same that Lorenzo Carter played uh, with Georgia and it's something you would like to see him rush the passer a little more you know lorenzo carter needed to develop more i think josh allen is a little more athletic has a little more pass rush ability than lorenzo carter did coming in but i i can see the point and if you wanted to you know bump someone up you know like like a maybe a a montez sweat or or someone who does have just more no pass rush experience and and down to down ability I, i could see that and so going into the uh, pass rush, it's, it's it's one of the reasons I am not high on the my the first guy here, and that's Dexter Lawrence, the interior defensive lineman from Clemson. There's there's mixed bags on him. Some people think he's one of the better defensive linemen uh, in this class. He's uh, basically a 340-350-pound nose tackle. And it just the way I view the NFL right now, being a great run defender isn't all that valuable if you don't have a little bit more pass rushing ability than Lawrence has. If he's going to go maybe the end of round one, like top of round two, that, that's a lot to give up on someone who's only job is to just take up space and defend the run. Like you I think you almost have to be like Damon Harrison level good against the run if you're going to have that value there. And he, he showed a little bit of pass rush ability at Clemson, but mostly it was just because he is a gigantic human being and he was able to kind of push forward. He has to be, I think, a little more refined to be able to get that to work in the NFL. So it just in the sense of him not really bring and i think it's just a positional value thing i'm just not going to value a a nose tackle highly to to where lawrence is going to go if if there's not the desired amount of pass rush ability i think there's there's a lot of other defensive tackles that you can play around that same area who are going to have that pass rush ability and that's even past like the the ed olivers and quinn and williams like if you look at someone like jerry tillery who might go around where lawrence is Uh, tillery is probably just as good against the run and he's a really good pass rusher I'd much rather have someone uh, like that so that's just I think just kind of a positional value preference for me of why I'm not going to view Lawrence where I think a lot of other people are
2: that's fair although you know we we know what Dave Gettleman thinks of your whole positional value argument it is it is a (laughs) crock but that's fair I I do think maybe he could become a better pass rusher maybe definitely not at the ability of Quinn Williams or Ed Oliver or even Jerry Tillery or Christian Wilkins or Jeffrey Simmons. As soon as he's healed up and damn, this is a good front seven class.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But to my point, like think of all the guys you just listed uh, and where Lawrence might go um, among them. Exactly.
2: So that is a really strong argument against him or at least why he should slide down a little bit and not to spend a high draft pick on him does have just a freakish amount of athleticism for a guy his size. Running a 5-second 40 at 340 pounds is just stupid. And he does have better lateral agility, I think, than he has any right to. Again, not absolutely phenomenal, but within the context of being a 340-pound human being, he moves better than he really should be able to. But he definitely needs to learn how to use that and become a pass rusher and not just a big athletic human.
3: Yeah, I mean, I can't disagree with with anything that you guys said and I kind of have the same same view of Lawrence. you know he's right now he's a really big athletic person that takes up space. However, you know you're gonna need a little bit more than that in order to be you know a top 50 top 50 pick. You know, you have to be able to show some juice in the pass game. You know, if he was able to consistently, you know, at least just collapse the pocket from the inside, he would go, he would be a top 32 pick. But that's the thing, he's not consistent. And, and, you know, I I know I talked about this with Farrell, but Lawrence was in, you know, a defensive line full of all-stars. And sometimes, you know, while that can be great, it can also kind of, color evaluation of players as well and it it makes the evaluation a little bit difficult hey is this because they're great or are they succeeding because of the players around them and I think for Lawrence I think in all these mocks and all these big boards he's he's very high in part I think because because of his partner in crime Christian Wilkins a little
2: yeah Wilkins, Wilkins is just a fun player to watch just as a classic three technique absolutely
1: yeah, so Chris, why don't we go over to, to your second guy?
2: Okay. Mine is g- going to be another one who might be a little bit, uh, maybe a little bit controversial, and that is Greedy Williams, the cornerback out of LSU. And, again, he's he passes the eye test with flying colors. You know, maybe you might want him to have a little bit more bulk and thickness, but he's got the length, he's got speed for days. And, you know, as we were talking about before he, we went on the air – if you get him in the right situations, he is—he deserves to be mentioned as one of the top corners in this draft. I'm—I think it would be scheme and preference basically between him and Byron Murphy out in Washington. But getting him out of those situations, or when he has to do something other than what he is best at, his footwork is just a little too inconsistent for me. He can get off balance. He look sometimes looks a little bit tight and it's just a little bit too much for me to have him as just unequivocally my top guy there.
3: That's, you know, uh, that's fair. I am going to respectfully disagree. I actually have Greedy Williams as my top guy, but I, but I, I, I will say you're absolutely right. I think it is a matter of preference in terms of, you know, what scheme you run, but if you run, you know, primarily man and, you do a lot of press bail. I think he, he, is, he has the potential to be one of the top cover guys in the league after, after a few years. I compare him to Stephon Gilmore. I think they are very similar players. And while I do agree that you know sometimes he's a little tight, sometimes his footwork is, uh, is, is a little wonky, I think his recovery uh, on players is, is phenomenal. Watch him against DK Metcalf, who a lot of people have as their top wide receiver, and showed out as like a freak in the at the combine. And Greedy was able to match up with him step step for step. That was really the game that kind of sold me on him as my top guy. Even with you know more slippery players like Riley Ridley, um, he was able to he was able to stay on them. I think as a boundary corner. You could do a lot worse than him. Yeah, I, I think maybe at the
2: high end he could – you said Steph, uh, Stephen Gilmore. I Maybe uh, DRC, Dominic Rogers Cromarty, with uh, again, that similar kind of press bail using length and recovery to kind of close those gaps and just close the door on passes. If he could get in a, into a situation and develop to be that kind of player, absolutely.
1: All right, you know, why don't we get into your second guy who you might like a little less than consensus? So uh,
3: I guess I'm, I'm going to be talking about offensive tackles today. But, um, you know, the guy that I, I like a little bit less than other people, but again, I have him as, you know, a top 15, top 20 guy is uh, Jawan Taylor. A lot of people have him as their, top, as their top offensive tackle. I have him number three behind Andre Dillard, who I talked about, and Jonah Williams. I think... You know, when you look at him, he looks like he's an all pro offensive tackle right off the bat. He's got, you know, prototype size. Um, he has impressive foot speed for somebody his size. What scares me is he still doesn't play with leverage all that well. And he's, his punch still gives me pause. And my god i don't it i guess it's a problem when i talk about eric flowers this much Uh, (laughs) but uh you know eric flowers the one thing he taught me about prospect evaluation when it comes to offensive linemen you know hands are important i used to think it was all about footwork but hands are just as important and joan taylor uh if he gets his hands on you it's over but he has to get his hands on you and and you know his, his punch is uh, kind of all over the place. I, I see him punching too high. I can see players uh, kind of bend around him quite a bit. Watch him against Kentucky. And pl- if you put that on, uh, there's plenty of evidence that he's a top five, top ten pick. Not to say that he can't improve, but, you know, again, it's, it's something that, that gives you pause before saying this guy is going to be, you know, the next Tyron Smith or whoever it is you want to compare him to.
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I do like Juwan Taylor. You mentioned his foot speed. I, I can't remember if it was that game against Kentucky or the one against Mississippi state. They run, the defense runs kind of a delayed blitz to his side and he just passes off his guy and recovers and gets out to pick up the blitz. Just, it, it was a wow play for me. So he, you can see those flashes of upside Yes but like you said his he just needs to get more consistent and just get better at using those tools on a play in play out basis which that could be why it took him until just this year to really emerge and he just maybe he's starting to get it we don't know yet.
1: Yeah, so this is interesting because uh, per the SIS blown block rates, he has a 0.87% blown block rate against the pass, which is the fourth best in this class, a 023 blown block rate against the run, which is the best in this class. Um, wow. So it might not always be super pretty, but he yeah, did get the job done at Florida oh, last year. Um, he's you know, probably my tackle two behind Dillard. So... I, I could I could see where sometimes it, it doesn't look great, uh, but I, I think there's I think there's enough there to to get going.
3: Oh, I definitely agree with that. I like I said, you know, he's he's a surefire fa- first round pick, surefire top twenty pick. I just don't think he's the stone cold lead pipe lock, all pro <laughs> offensive tackle that a lot of people are saying. Um, but I think he, I definitely agree. He'll probably be quite successful wherever he goes
1: all right so i am going to end this segment with my last guy and that is a riley ridley uh the wide receiver from georgia i think there there is a mixed bag here on how people do view ridley i think early in the process some people had him as like a a top five wide receiver I think that's that's fallen back a little bit, but I am super low on him, and I'm not even sure where he ranks in my wide receivers, but it's very low because he came in at, negative target yards added, uh, which means when Georgia was throwing to Riley, they averaged less yards per target than when they threw to anyone else. That is not a good sign for a wide receiver at the NFL level. Uh, Among the wide receivers I have in charting since I've started target yards added. So heading into this class... I have 167 wide receivers um, in this group, and and 18 of them came in at at negative target yards added. And i will say maybe, as I'm looking at the list, two of them maybe have been decent pro players. One is uh, Ty Montgomery, who became a running back, and that's how he became a (laughs) successful NFL player. So that's one not a good sign. And then number two is is uh, Dante Pettis, who was a rookie last year. He was good when he was on the field, but also got injured, so he's still to wait and see. There's a lot of other names of, of guys some people like. There's Jalen Sanders, like Alan Lazard from last year, you know Stacy Coley, uh, Kenny Lawler, Artavia Scott, Travin Durrell. There's just a lot of names of guys who were just uh, were not very good and were mostly low picks uh, in the draft and did not end up playing well in the NFL. Um, You know, Pettis is really the only guy in that group who got drafted highly. I'm not sure where Ridley is going to go. You know, he he has those traits, but the production is not there. And, And that's a huge red flag for me. I found just in this group, since doing target yards added, anyone who is at negative target yards added, when a college offense was less productive throwing to you than anyone else on the field, I, that, that just doesn't bode well for NFL success.
3: So I agree. I'm, I'm actually a little bit more down on, on Ridley than, than the others that, that see him as, you know, I've heard people go as high as, you know, early day two, or somebody that could be uh, an option for the giants at number 37. Um, I think that's, that's way too high. When I saw him, I was reminded of, uh, of Muhammad Sanu. I think he's uh, a dead ringer for the way that Sanu plays and that's a that's you know somebody who has a ceiling as a number two wide receiver. One thing I will say is uh, you know he's got phenomenal hands and he has phenomenal body control. He's a decent route runner, but um, he just doesn't have the quickness. You know, obviously the the long speed is not there. He had a four five eight forty, not too much explosion. Uh, seven two three cone, which is which is you know kind of awful. Uh, Four two eight 2 8 uh shuttle which uh i think ed oliver beat that <laughs> you know so you know he doesn't have the short area quickness he doesn't have the long speed to really be you know uh an amazing number one i do think he can he can make a uh, make some hay as a number a number two wide receiver but i think this was a good pick as far as you know a player that's been getting a lot of hype uh but maybe maybe he needs to be uh, knocked down a little
2: and I would say, especially with this draft class, just with this wide receiver class being the way it is, where yeah, everywhere you turn, there's another wide out who is just like, oh, this guy could be good. This guy could be good. This guy could be good. You have guys like uh, Emmanuel Hall and uh, Debo Samuel, and uh, I like Antoine Wesley out of Texas Tech. And there's just guys all over. This draft is just littered with Receivers who just have a lot of upside, and maybe taking a guy who is who might be a good number two. You you don't want to spend a high draft pick on
1: that. Say Mohamed Sanu and and number two. That's that's I think the the ceiling. That's I don't even think that's what you should expect. Uh, I I don't even uh, project that uh, for him right now. So uh, we are going to end this episode here. Kunal, thank you so much for for joining us today.
3: Thank you guys so much for having me. This was a lot of fun.
1: Awesome. We'll have to do it again.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. I'm down.
1: All right. Uh, you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review. If you have not, that helps us out greatly. You can follow our work at Big Blue View. You can follow Big Blue View on Twitter at Big Blue View. You can follow Big Blue View on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuti. You can follow Chris on Twitter at Raptor MKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.